Today is week nine in our series on Colossians, and it's our last week in this series. I just heard someone cheer. <laughs> Was that you, Janelle? <laughs> you meant that in a good way, right? This has been such a fantastic letter. I'm not trying to put dibs on my preaching. I'm saying that the letter that Paul wrote has been so good to go through slowly, hasn't it? Because you can read Colossians in one sitting and go, that was pretty good close. <laughs> We've been going through it and taking chunks out, pulling it apart a little bit, trying to apply it to our life. I hope you've found some good encouragement in this message to the church in Colossae, but it's a letter to us here in Evident Hills as well, in Hills Church. It's a letter where Paul said right at the beginning that they are holy and faithful people, and that's been the title of our series, is Holy People. And it's been my prayer that through the reading and reflection on these scriptures, that we've been changing. Look, I know maybe for me, it's a bit easier for me to reflect more because I've got to sit there and think about what I'm going to say and apply it to myself. So I've got hours and hours invested into each message. I hope that you're receiving some of this as well, particularly specifically out of the word and that it's helping just to change you and mold you, and that we are becoming those holy and faithful people that Paul talks about. The power of scriptures and the Holy Spirit within us help us do this, to become more like Christ, which is what we saw last week, which is what we read about. Become like Jesus, is what Paul said. Well, we're going to wrap up this series with this last section in chapter 3 this morning. We've already done chapter 4, by the way, in case you're wondering. So we're going to start in verse 17, and here's what Paul said. Whatever you do or say, key word there is whatever you do or say. That means everything you do or say. You do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. And we give thanks through him to God the Father. You know, I have in a previous occupation, let's call it a previous life if you will, taken on a title in a job called company representative. Has anyone else ever had a job like that? Company rep or sales rep or something like that? Like, there's two of us. <laughs> I was expecting more. Oh, good. Three and four and five. Okay. Has anyone ever had a job where you've been a company or a sales representative? Good. Okay. This, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for making you put your hands up. <laughs> there's six of us. Basically, your job is to represent the company and their products and services and to do it professionally and to do it in such a way that they love your company and your products and your services, and they want to buy them off you, right? They want to do business with you. Your job is very much customer-focused and to represent the best of your company and what it is that they have to offer. Now, I have to admit, being that I knew everything that goes on inside the company that I worked for, sometimes it was hard to represent the best of them. And so there was a certain amount of how, how you would probably say glossing over things, right? You, you wanted to talk about the good parts of your company and the products and the services that they, that they have to offer, but you didn't speak about what you knew was probably going on back in the shop or back in the, in the office, right, the, the, um, the organised chaos that somehow managed to put a good image up to these clients and think, these guys have got it together, I'm going to buy from them. And you always wondered, wonder why they do. Now, I think that happens in every organisation, right, to varying degrees. 
Now, according to Paul, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're one of his representatives. I've called this morning's message Kingdom Reps, right? We're, we're out there representing Jesus. We're the reps. We're on the road, <laughs> literally. Represent, and the Bible says it's a verb, so it's an action, to be entitled or appointed to act or speak for someone, especially in an official capacity. So each and every person here today, if you're a follower of the Lord, you're designated reps, representatives of Christ. Each one of us is appointed to act and speak for Christ in an official capacity. But here's the thing, it's not a nine-to-five occupation. And here's the other thing, you're not trying to hide the mess that's going on in secret behind you. We're actually bringing the truth out into the open. We're actually bringing the fullness of Christ into people's lives. It's an all-of-life appointment. It's part of our job description, kingdom reps. Every word you say, every action you take, whether in private or public, represents Jesus. This is actually an incredibly important point, and I hope that we, we um, think about it and just dwell on what this would mean for us. So that was, that's our first point for today. Every follower of Jesus is appointed as his representative. We're kingdom reps. So the question before us is, that are we representing him to those around us? Are we representing the real Jesus to those people around us? Do our words and actions represent the kingdom of heaven? You know, do... Do they represent Jesus well, quite frankly? Because we're, we're the reps. We're his representatives. So let's be honest with ourselves. Don't think about anyone else. Are our actions and words either building others up or are they tearing them down? Now going back to my old job again, I remember there was a person on my staff who struggled a lot with uh, emotional maturity and, he, and he's... His defences were triggered really easily, right? They don't make very good company reps when people have this struggle. And he'd often be on a phone call and, and something would come his way and he'd get defensive really easily. And I'd be sitting there listening uh, in, in the office there and you know, you'd kind of break out in a cold sweat and you're kind of like, oh my gosh, are we going to ever hear from this particular uh, customer again? And you get a little bit embarrassed and you'd, and you'd close your eyes and you think... Lord, just help him to hang up. <laughs> and the problem is that Christians as kingdom reps, sometimes we, we don't represent Jesus to the world the way that he actually is. You know, we don't really mean to. We don't, we don't want to. But the cost is that we can do harm to people's perception of Christ and the church through our actions and our words. And we know the church through history... And around the world ha has done that. It's harmed the gospel, right? Sometimes the things that the church has done and said has harmed the gospel. Brennan Manning has this great quote. I may have used it once before. He said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And that is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. That's, a, that's kind of hard words, but they make us think, don't they? We have a very serious role to play as kingdom reps. Every time we bend the truth, we exaggerate, we slander people, we use unclean language, we, we take instead of give, we fail to have honest conversation, we, or if we ignore those in need, every time we do that, 
we may be misrepresenting the kingdom. We may be misrepresenting Jesus. And I don't mean for this message to come across as a shaming exercise, okay? I want us to hear today that we've been assigned a job that is a privilege. And actually, I believe it's a blessing and there's joy to be had. So that's my second point today. Being a kingdom rep is a privilege and a joy. And I say that because in that verse we've already read in verse 17, whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. He says, give thanks, giving thanks, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So as we're representing Jesus, for some reason we've got this thanksgiving welling up inside of us. There must be a joy in being this particular type of rep, this kingdom rep. There's a thanksgiving that comes from it. We are representing the king after all. You know, if you were representing the queen, you'd think that was a privilege, wouldn't you? And hopefully find some joy in that. We're representing the king, the creator. And I say it's an amazing privilege. Being his representative is not some soul-destroying kind of ridiculously hard work that just wears us down to nothing. It's supposed to be life-giving and rewarding. Think of it this way, offering simple words of encouragement and care for someone from a place of love and compassion, even if that person might be a bit difficult, I promise you, there's great personal reward in doing that. And I think this is where this thanksgiving can come from. When we do something for someone that's generous, the act of giving is rewarding. Going down the path of giving life to someone instead of taking life from someone is, is deeply satisfying. It, you know, you, you might get some kind of temporary satisfaction from taking, but it's never long-lasting. But the satisfaction in giving has amazing depth to it. In fact, doing this role for Jesus is so satisfying and such a privilege that Paul says in 17, you're going to be filled with thanksgiving. Point number three today is a kingdom rep is always on the clock. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that you have to be on the factory floor doing physical hard labor all the time, but we are representing 24 hours a day. And we are going to read some specific examples of how we represent Jesus in a moment. It's coming up in the scriptures. But there's a focus on two specific areas that Paul mentions. The first is in our marriage and family life. The second is in our work life or our university life or whatever life you do during the week day to day, unless, you know, well, if you're on uni and you're in four months holiday like my daughter, there's not a lot going on in your day to day, right? But um, you know what I mean. I'll apologise later, Natasha. I, I know we can be good representatives in our church life, and I know we can be good representatives of Christ in our social life, but in the areas most familiar with people, let's be honest, sometimes it can be harder. We might head home after a hard day of work and it's possible to switch to stop being the rep mode to the inward focus on me mode. If you're not agreeing with me, then maybe it's just me. But actually, all of our words and actions around our family still represent Jesus. And that's what the scriptures are about to say. So the first place is in our marriages. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, I know on first reading, 
there appears to be an imbalance in those two statements. And it appears that there is only some kind of one-way submission going on here. But I want to assure you that if that's what we think when we read that, then we're not interpreting this passage very well. One of the first rules of interpreting Scripture is to first consider the original cultural context, then you consider the distance from our current culture, and then be sure to apply the truth of that, that good biblical principle to us today in today's context. So in this culture that Paul was writing to, it was absolutely a patriarchal culture. The women, I'm sorry, I don't like it, but that's, that's how it was then. They were subservient to the men. It doesn't mean it was right, but it's a historical fact of the culture of the time. And it's not necessarily a biblical principle to state what's actually happening. It was a very different time. It wasn't a great time to be a woman. In many ways in this culture, you know, not necessarily the Christian culture at the time, by the way, but in the culture of the time, the Roman Greek culture, uh, women were sadly treated more like property than like women made in the image of God. You know, to be equally loved and respected. And I know sometimes those long tentacles from their culture, they still sometimes do reach into our culture today, don't they? We still see it happen. And when we read these two verses, they make us wince just a little bit. It kind of goes against the grain of our time. But we need to understand when the church in Colossae read those words, trust me, they winced as well. But in, for the opposite reason. Because in the second verse there, it, there was a message for the husbands that was countercultural. Here is Paul telling husbands, the men, actually, your wives, they definitely aren't property. And how you represent Christ to your wife must reflect Jesus. In another letter, Paul, in a similar tone, he made it even just a little bit clear to husbands. In Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, the way we should love our wife is to give my life for her. Church, we've got to understand this kind of writing to the men of the early first century culture, that was completely radical. We might wince at those words today. They were going, wow, that's different. Don't ever read those commands about wives submitting to husbands and think the Bible is teaching some kind of out-of-date, subservient, wife-to-husband-only relationship because you're missing something very important here. Let me just say this, wives... Yes, submit to your husbands, it's right there in the scriptures, there's no doubt about it. But husbands, Paul was radically correcting a culture that treated women as lower than men. He said, you must love your wife and give your life for her. She's not property, she's not beneath you. In fact, loving means putting someone ahead of me. It means lifting up my wife in front of me, before my desires, and giving instead of taking. And giving means submission. So I say there's submission both, in both directions in the Christian life. In fact, there's actually submission from me to you and you to me as well. This is what Christian submission is all about. It's not about one person over another. It's not a one-way street. Christian submission is a mutual submission where I'm willing to say to you, I don't have to be right. I don't have to get my way on all of these things. We do this together. When we both submit in our marriages, we both give and we both receive. Does everyone hear what I'm saying this morning? Ooh, not that convinced. Paul, 
was not some sexist man repressing women. It was the opposite. I just hope you can see that message today. He was preaching to the church, your marriages are different to the way the world does it, to the way the culture does it. Your marriages are different. And this culture needs to see you representing Jesus with how men and women are actually submitting to each other and loving each other. They represent his kingdom. And I've said it here many times. Actually, I got it from um, Peter Schizero, a man that I, I listen to a lot. He says our marriages have to be a sign and wonder to the world about Jesus. I know that they're hard at times. I know it takes a lot of work. I know that it hasn't always worked out very well. But that's the message for the couples here today. When we see our spouse each day, it's always on our mind. We represent Jesus to them. When I see Shelley, and I'm tired, and I'm worn out, I'm still representing Jesus to her, and not anything else. We love them like Jesus loved the church and gave his life, and we submit to each other in Christian submission. The second thing is with our uh, children and parents, and I'll put their slash caregivers, because I know some, that's some of you. So verse 20 says, Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. So young people, consider this for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you to just consider how is this command of obedience, in this command of obedience, do you represent Jesus to your parents and to your wider family and friends? I'm sure you can think of lots of times. Likewise, in reverse for parents, the way we talk to our kids, even when they do the wrong thing, even when they disobey, even when they don't, Get off the iPad or computer when you've asked them 10 times. You know, I could probably do a long list, but I won't. How you respond and handle those frustrations should represent Jesus to them because let me assure you, parents, if our hope is for our kids to grow up knowing and loving Jesus, we're the, the most important representative that they have. You know, we are the designated kingdom reps for our kids. The example we said either proves the word of the Bible to be true or it might do the opposite. How we talk about others at home, church, is important. Because I've discovered our kids can hear more than you think. Our generosity or lack of it is seen. The language we, language we use, the acts of kindness we show to others, our attitude and, and commitment to the ministry of the church and to, and to the Lord, how we pray and our commitment to deeper discipleship, you know, how we respond when things don't go our way, when things are going poorly. How we respond represents Jesus to our kids. They listen and they watch and they see everything we do and say. So how do we represent Jesus to our children? Are we being good kingdom reps to them? Do we need to make any changes in this area? As I always say, I'm preaching to myself too. But it's something for us to think about. The third place was in our workplace, slash university or school. All right. Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time. Not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. 
Work willingly at what you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for the people. Now, once again, we read those words in this cultural context and they kind of make us wince a little, don't they? But again, let's be good students of the Bible and do a proper interpretation for our application. We've got to understand the culture that Paul was writing to. He's writing to a culture where people did have slaves at that time. It doesn't mean it's the right thing. It just happened. That's, that's what was going on. Two quick things about that. First, Paul's not saying having slaves is right. He's acknowledging that some people in this church would have actually been considered slaves. But you should know that there were differences and different kinds of slaves in this particular time. We mostly think of slavery in terms of it being forced against one's will and forever. And yes, that did happen in this time as well. You know, people... We often think of slaves as being sold like farm machinery and owned for life by a wealthy person who might treat them as objects. And we abhor that and we don't like that and we absolutely know that God doesn't like that either. In fact, this denomination that you're sitting in here today, the Wesleyan Methodist Church, was born out of the abolitionist movement in America when the Methodists were losing their way when it came to slavery. And a bunch of ministers said no, never. And the Wesleyan Methodist Church was actually born out of that. And the New Testament talks about slavery, though some of the time it's talking about people who have entered into an agreement with someone for a specified period of time, and in return they receive lodgment and board and, and feed and things like that for their family. And there was no safety net back in this culture. And sometimes that was the way people actually were able to um, provide for their family for a period of time. It's true, though, that slaves were often treated very poorly. History shows slave owners have often been abusive and taken advantage but sometimes, and even when it, when it was in an agreement to begin with. So I hope you're not hearing me advocating for slavery in the slightest way, but we have to understand that people sometimes ended up in this kind of, of place because there wasn't this government safety net that we enjoy today. That doesn't mean that they were always treated fairly, though. You know, the Bible actually talks about slave owners sometimes being even loved by their slaves, because there must have been some, some good relationship and agreement that's working in those particular circumstances. But, but in 1 Timothy 1.10, it says there that slave traders were sinful and ungodly, so lots of bad stuff was going on. I'm simply saying about this verse, Paul is not condoning slavery, he's simply writing into a culture where various forms of it was a cultural reality, even a cultural sin in many ways. But what I'm trying to say is, how does this passage relate to us? We can easily relate this to our work situation, in my opinion, or our school situation, uni situation. So hear me, I'm not for a second saying that employers are slave owners and employees are slaves, okay? <laughs> Do not think that. If you walk out of here and say Nathan's in there preaching about slavery being okay and the workers are slaves, like... <sighs> The principle for us is to represent Jesus in our place of work or in our uni or wherever we are, okay? We do that with the right attitude to the work we've agreed to do. We do that by being honest. We do that by loving our work colleagues and our customers. You know, if you're in retail and you've got this constant stream of customers and some are nicer to you than others, our attitude is how we honour Jesus or represent Jesus in our workplace. We do that by honouring the person that employed us. 
We do that by not getting caught up in workplace gossip or school gossip or uni gossip. We know that one's a tempting one to fall into. I say it from experience. You know, the key words from Paul was try to please them even when the boss isn't watching you. That's pretty radical. I know I've been a boss in in my previous positions and I hear the scurrying that comes when you come through the front door, right? (laughs) Work for them. This is what Paul said. Work for them sincerely and willingly, not begrudgingly. And I know that's hard sometimes. I know that's hard sometimes. And you know, I, I wonder if, I don't know if I want to give advice on this, but if you can't do that in that place of employment, find one where you can. That should be how Christians are known by their employers. We represent Jesus to the people who have employed us. They should know it. On the flip side for employers, if you're an employer, a manager, a business owner, the call is for you to also represent Jesus to your workers. I'm going to... It's kind of weird where they put the chapter numbers in Colossians. Verse chapter 4 starts... With this particular verse, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves and remember that you also have a master in heaven. And then it moves on to something else, which we've already talked about. But again, we're substituting the words masters and slaves for employers and employees and applying it to our culture and our situation. Representing Jesus as an employer comes into how we work through conflict in our workplaces. How we help our employees find satisfaction in their work life. The tone and environment that we set, because we do, we set the tone when we're a manager or or some kind of supervisor, we set the tone. And we have to represent Jesus in that tone. The life that we bring, and of course, as Paul was saying, just and fair, a just work agreement, a fair wage, amongst other things. And so Paul says, think about your own master in heaven If you own or you oversee or or whatever, if you have people working under you, think about your own master in heaven and how he loves you and do likewise. Like this is pretty radical stuff for a workplace, isn't it? Imagine having a work culture where Jesus, even if they're not Christians who work for you, there's that culture that permeates through because we set the tone. Point number four. Nearly there. A kingdom rep can look forward to a big reward, you know, the commission. Verse 24, back in chapter 3, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. You know, I remember in one instance in my old position as a, as a sales representative, I was trying to get an order together for a particular customer that had to be done ahead of others and had to be urgent. And I asked the warehouse person, could you make this happen for me? And they said, no, I will not do it. And I said, why wouldn't we do this? You know, we're trying to be, uh, we're trying to look after our customers. And he's turned around to me and he said to me, because you get commission and I don't. And I thought, well, that's not that good an answer because I get, only get paid if you help me get this order out the door, you're going to get paid no matter what, right? What I wanted to say was um, we need to be good representatives for our company 
I was trying to represent the company well to the client. And yes, there was a reward for me in that. So I think the final point here from Paul in this letter is that we not only represent Jesus in all our words and actions because we love and therefore obey Jesus. That's the primary reason. But the beautiful promise is here of a reward for us. An inheritance, actually. An eternal inheritance. Just like last week when we serve and represent Jesus you know, we're doing it with the spiritual eyes, keeping in mind that there is a promise of reward for us. It can be hard at times, and there can be little thanks and reward here on earth. We all know that. But that's the promise, church. You're written into the book of life if you're a follower of Jesus. You're part of the inheritance. This is a reward for those who faithfully represent Jesus. So we're at the end of this series called Holy People. I personally have reflected on it from what it looks like for me. And I hope you've seen there's, there's quite a common theme that's sort of threaded its way through every message. I won't do a raise of hands to see who's been here for nine messages. But I know you, you all watch them online, right? Someone said yes, that's good. All right. Week one was about the visible fruit evident in a Christian's life. It's kind of tied into today's message. Week two was about standing firm in a post-Christian culture. So many of you have been listening to the podcast that I recommended, which has been fantastic to hear. We talked a little bit about, um, in week three, about servanthood and somehow, and, and, and about how there's suffering often as we serve Jesus and as we go through life. Week four... We talked about the strong ties of love in the church. Do you remember um, tying the little bits of string together? Good. Thanks, Janelle. Week five was about Christ being the source of our completeness. Completeness, He is enough. We don't look to reach riches and constant entertainment to fill the void. Christ is enough. Week six was a reminder about our new life in Christ and what that actually means for us. And we, we talked about baptism, which happened to be on a baptism Sunday, which was exciting, and how important baptism is. Week seven was about Paul's heart for the lost and the role of the church in reaching the lost one, the next one. You remember the one-cent pieces? I hope you still got them. I hope you're still praying for opportunities and for the one person. Week eight... Last week was about being made new and our sanctified life and our holy life, holy life, the transformed life, kind of a common thread, as is today, week nine, about, about being Christ's representative to every person in our life and the wonderful promise and reward that comes from that. Isn't that a great picture of the life and the follower of Jesus? And I want to encourage you, now that we've got to the end, go home this week, open up Colossians chapter 1. It's only four chapters and read it all the way through again and pray through it. Lord, Holy Spirit, may I be more like you. May we become more like Jesus. It's a great picture, church. And I see a church before me, holy and faithful, hungry and thirsty for more righteousness, for more of Jesus and his kingdom. My sense is that you all here today feel the same way and see the same thing. 
So I want to pray for you now. I'm going to invite you to stand. Lord, I'm so grateful for uh, your word passed down over thousands of years. Still powerful, still relevant today. And so we open up our hearts to you and invite you to do that work in us, to sanctify us, to, to make us holy and purify us, to, to become more like Jesus, to be representatives of Jesus, to have more fruit, evident fruit in our life, to be able to stand firm when, when the world around us is turning away from you, to be good servants and do what you've called us to do, even when it's hard. To have strong ties of love, uniting us together for your kingdom's cause. To rest only on you as the source of our fulfillment and our contentment. We say, Lord Jesus, you are enough. We thank you for our new life and the hope of eternity that you've put in our hearts. Old life gone, new life raised in Christ. We pray, Lord, to, to be like Paul in the New Testament church where we are, um, we are, we are about your, your gospel going out into this world. We are about the lost one, just like you were, Jesus, when you left the 99 to get the one. And it was risky, but you, you did it. You did that for me and for everyone here. Help us, Lord, to have a heart for the lost. Help us, Lord, to live holy, sanctified lives that are transformed. And lastly, Lord, may they reflect you. May, may we be your representative to every person we come a, across. In our, you know, our, our, the words that come out of our mouth are the words that you would say. full of grace and love and yes, sometimes correcting and rebuking but representing you, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you for the promise and the reward that you have finished this uh, letter with an inheritance, a family inheritance, sons and daughters of the living God, an inheritance of eternity with you. But Lord, we know that your kingdom is here now on this earth. And we pray, may your kingdom come here and now in this city and your will be done in our lives, in your church, just like it is in heaven. God, we, we look forward to that day. And you will come again. Amen.